I'm Sheila Cast. We're on the record. Good morning. Remember as a kid, learning about the Underground Railroad and understanding that it was something different than train lines you could see with steel tracks and iron locomotives? Underground meant it was hidden, secret, kind of mystical. Turns out, though, that part of the Underground Railroad network was on the railroad, the physical railroad. This fall, the B&O Railroad Museum mounted an exhibit showing how 27 enslaved people used the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad to escape, or try to escape. Some stowed away, some disguised themselves, some walked the tracks. We're revisiting our conversation from September when we talked about one of the most audacious escapes with the great-great-granddaughter of the couple who pulled off a risky deception. We'll meet her later. First, to tell us about the exhibit and some of the escapes at Chronicles, we heard from Chris Holan, executive director of the B&O Railroad Museum, and Chris Haley, who heads research for the Legacy of Slavery Project at the Maryland State Archives, who was a consultant to the museum for this exhibit. First, I asked Chris Holan what discoveries led to this exhibit, the Underground Railroad Freedom Seekers on the B&O Railroad. When we learned that one of the freedom seekers, Henry Box Brown, may have traveled through our site, we dedicated time for our curator and archivist to conduct research. And they learned, what really unlocked the key was they learned that any freedom seeker who may have taken a train from Washington to Baltimore would have been on a B&O railroad train. That was the only line at that point in time. So they would have come through our Mount Clare station, which led us to apply for National Underground Railroad designation in 2021, which we received from the National Park Service. So then we embarked on an exhibit that would really focus on the role of the physical railroad in the Underground Railroad. We're the only network to Freedom Site to focus on that and to talk about the ingenuity of the freedom seekers who came through our site. Yeah, the ingenuity of these freedom seekers is so impressive. You mentioned this new exhibit is in your oldest building, the Mount Clare Station, built in 1851. Why is that building significant? That building is significant because it is where the freedom seekers pass through. I mean, it was the train station at the time. So when you come into the exhibit, you will see the actual ticket window where it was. We've recreated it. You will also see what people need to, what you would have need to have had as documentation to be able to even board a train at that point in time. And what a lot of people don't know is that West Baltimore during that period had the largest number of free black people in the country, many of whom walked through those doors. So I think it's experiential to see an exhibit about freedom seekers in the place where they would have passed through. Chris Haley, the the video about one of the freedom seekers whom Chris Holan mentioned, Henry Box Brown, is one of the high points of the exhibit. Chris Haley, tell us the basic story of Henry Box Brown. Yeah, I would say that that this story is one of the most, uh, I'd say, legendary and yet amazing because it's true that has been shared uh, and discovered about the Underground Railroad, where this this man who's only about 33 years old becomes so so worried about and concerned and and reasonably so about his his 
state of being enslaved and also the fear of having his family torn asunder by being sold separate from each other that he takes it upon himself that he's going to seek freedom and he's trying to figure out what way can he do this and and he comes up with the idea with the help of another uh, free black man named i think it's james smith that perhaps i could do this by mailing myself to a free state and certainly when i say mail mail myself this is talking the 19th century the 1800s so certainly we're not talking about trucks we're not talking about amazon we're not talking about <laughs> federal express we're really talking about probably uh, a ferry a wagon and a, a physical train so henry brown with the help of other individuals including james smith devises this idea where he's going to have himself nailed into a box an actual wooden box which is no more than i think it's two or three feet in in general parameters with no more than a little water and i think some hard tack biscuits of the time to be mailed from where he lives or shipped so to speak with those different ways I mentioned, to a free state, the free state of, I believe it was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where when he is, if he's successful, when the persons who will be expecting him to get there receive that box, they will open it up and he will be shipped and arrive as a free man in a state. And I think it took uh, uh, certainly over a day, 24 to um, 36 hours or something. So it wasn't easy. It was scary. It was risky because there's so many steps along the way where just as people make fun about mailing today, where he could have been dropped so hard that perhaps his his body would have broken or his neck, his back or some of his limbs. And how can he still maintain silence so that he's not discovered? How can he still maintain his health? if one of those things happens and he is in no way able to really stretch his body to find comfort. There's only so much pain one can endure even when your your dream, your your ultimate goal is freedom, which you've never before tasted in your life. And he was successful. Chris Holland, the video in the exhibit telling Brown's story is based on the, the minstrel song that he himself performed after his escaped, how he spread the word. Let's hear the chorus of that. Brown laid down the shovel and the hole. Down in the box he did go. No more slave work for Henry Box Brown. In the box by express he did go. So we're hearing the song that Box Brown himself sang to tell the story of his escape. How do we come to know the music and the lyrics, and who are we hearing sing it? It was really important to us, Sheila, when we put the videos together, actually the whole exhibit, that we try to use as much each freedom seeker's own voice, their own words, in telling the stories. So in looking at the story for Henry Box Brown, who, as Chris said, shipped himself in a box 27 hours, you know, shipped by freight, uh, we located the tune and we located the words to his song. 
And because Henry Fox Brown, when he reached freedom, he performed, as you said, a minstrel song. He went sort of on the road performing and talking about the horrors of slavery. And we asked Howard University's Afro Blue Ensemble uh, to record this song for us. And they did. And they really, really got into it. And they did an amazing job. And it forms the narration for the video on Henry Fox Brown. And this video is completely immersive. It's on three sides. And I'll tell you, there are times where you feel like you are in the box with Henry Fox Brown. And the whole time you're hearing the song sung so beautifully by Howard University's choir. So that that is how we did it. We wanted the narration and the original words. This is On the Record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast, speaking about the Freedom Seekers exhibit at the B&O Railroad Museum with the museum's executive director, Chris Holan, and with Chris Haley of the Legacy of Slavery Project at the Maryland Archives. Chris Haley, how did the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 raise the stakes for enslaved people trying to make a break for freedom? I think part of what the fear and the impact of 1850 was that it was almost like the the South and those persons who were slaveholders were like, we're not playing anymore because the act had already been passed in 1793. And, and, and so let's put it into context, 1793, after the American Revolution, after we're talking about being free from slavery from Britain, we're looking within ourselves and say, yeah, but there's these people of African descent and hmm, this seems kind of contradictory. So let us differentiate. We're going to put in this Freedom Act. So in 1850, there's more rising tension about uh, the difference between free states in the North and, and enslaved states in the, in the South. So again, the South says, we have to put a, a lid on this. We have to, we're losing too many people through the Underground Railroad or what have you. So we're going to reenact this and make it more specific that if if you are found, you're a, you're a freedom seeker and you are found on the road somewhere without a uh, certificate of freedom without a manumission we can find you and we can put you back into slavery wherever you might be outside of canada there was sort of a lax situation within the northern states whereas if you made it to that area say philadelphia and north then it's the chances weren't great that the effort would be put forth to find you But once the 1850 Freedom Act is implemented, that's all gone. People are more empowered to find individuals who were enslaved or suspected of being enslaved and take them under under their, if they can, take them under their own auspices until they can get the, the reward for having found that person. Chris Holden, it's hard for me to wrap my head around how young railroading was. The B&O, America's first public commercial railroad, was chartered in 1827, so it was only a couple decades old when these escapes were taking place. And though the railroad was all bound up in the economy of slave states like Maryland, the B&O's policy was not to engage in slavery. Explain that. 
That is correct, Sheila. So the BNO's first president, Philip Thomas, was a Quaker, and Quakers were historically anti-slavery. So the BNO had a policy where it was not built by enslaved labor. It also did not have its vendors, if you will, at the time, could not use enslaved labor. Obviously, enslaved labor was in the supply chain of you know the actual uh, iron ore and everything else. But the BNO uh, also did not enforce against freedom seekers. And so they made a decision at the time that if a freedom seeker was caught on their train, that they would simply pay the fine. And the fine at the time was $500, which would be about $15,000 today. So they they made that business decision at that period of time. And I think that's fairly, I mean, there's obviously it's complex, but that is what they did. And I think if you look at it, um, they would check for papers. They would, you know, and we're making a lot of assumptions, but it's through looking at our archives and reading the board of directors minutes that we have of the BNO. Um, they would ask for the papers. Um, they would look the other way then. Maybe the papers look good, maybe they didn't, but as long as they were following the law, they would not enforce against a freedom seeker. So that is, how they dealt with it at that period of time. Chris Haley, what effect do you think an exhibit like this and the research that went into it will have? I think it's, it's I certainly hope that the effect is more toward the, the respect and the validity and the authentic, authenticity of what slavery was and the efforts that were taken to defeat it. And that there were individuals who were people who weren't iconic and just legendary and who were, let's say, necessarily had otherworldly attributes. They were men and women, such as the ones who will go and visit the exhibit at the B&O Railroad Museum, who just took it upon themselves to, to, by any means necessary, seek freedom and sometimes it was through the use of this actual facility, which exists today, which you can go to and and feel at least spiritually that you're in the space where individuals hundreds of years ago, almost 200 years ago, actually passed through this enslaved so that they could find freedom. So I think it's it's so impactful to present what your place, what your physical structure was in the the journey and the lives of so many individuals who existed before us today. Thank you both for this conversation. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you very much. A permanent exhibit at the B&O Railroad Museum at 901 West Pratt Street is called The Underground Railroad, Freedom Seekers on the B&O Railroad. Chris Holan is the museum's executive director. Chris Haley of the Maryland Archives Legacy of Slavery Project was a consultant. At the other record page at WYPR.org, we have a link to where you can register for a timed ticket to visit the exhibit. Short break now on the record. When we're back, an educator whose great-great-grandparents made a daring escape on the B&O. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us.
Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. A couple weeks before Christmas in 1848, a young enslaved husband and wife in rural Georgia hatched a daring plan. She was very fair-skinned, the biological daughter of her enslaver and a biracial mother. The young couple thought they could disguise her as a white male slave owner who was ill and frail, wearing dark glasses and bandages covering part of his face, traveling with an enslaved valet. Spoiler alert, after some heart-pounding complications, the scheme worked. Today we're revisiting our conversation with their great-great-granddaughter, Julia Ellen Craft Davis, who lives in South Carolina. We spoke in September. I started by asking her about her great-great-grandparents, Ellen and William Craft, and why they were so intent on freedom and willing to risk so much for it. They did not want to have children born into slavery. Um, William had siblings that he no longer, including his parents also, he no longer was able to be in touch with them. Um, They were all sold off. And and Ellen also was separated from her mother when she was 11. So they didn't want to have children born into into slavery where they would then be separated and, and maybe not see them at all. At some point, they decided to just go ahead and try to escape which was an amazing um, risk they took because if they had been caught, they would have been beaten. Um, They would have lost the the favorite position they had with Ellen being the house slave and William being um, allowed to work as a, as a carpenter cabinet maker and keeping some of the money. They both were able to do with their skills, do things that they could then make money on um, and keep. You know, most of it went to the owner, but they had some money they were able to keep. So that kind of freedom was not going to be continued if they got caught. How did they come up with this particular plan to disguise her, not just as white, her skin was very fair, but disguise her as a young man? They came up with it. I mean, they they came up with this idea. Um, yeah, they had they had prayed about how to do this. And so they they were able to developed the plan and then implemented and within eight days they were free so with ellen you know traveling first class out out in the open so they um they were able to go out in the open and it was really an amazing thing because um neither one of them could read or write and with them not being able to read or write that means they had to go to uh hotels sign in so they developed the, the idea of having a sling. So her right hand was put into a sling. So anyone would want her to sign because when they, they had to sign whenever they went into uh, Charleston and also Baltimore, they had to, she had to register um, and sign in because of the fact that she had her slave. She was Mr. Johnson during this trip. They had a hat. She had a poultice around her face covering it so you couldn't tell that there was no beard they had also trousers and um hair was her hair was cut she had green spectacles on to hide to hide her um her eyes so there was this whole um outfit was very was ingenious for what they came up with and they were able to go first class and in four days four days after they came up with the plan uh four days later they implemented it and they were free That's Julia Ellen Craft Davis, whose great-great-grandparents escaped slavery in Georgia, traveling by train with a daring disguise. Their story is told in the exhibit at the B&O Railroad Museum. 
I assume for most of the, that train trip, the young, frail master traveled in a car with white passengers while the enslaved valet was in a different car with other African-Americans. Why do you think your great-great-grandmother was able to pull that off? I know that Ellen, uh, as a child even, was living with her first master, and he was able, he had a lot of people uh, who came through his home that were leaders in the community. And even with her second master, who was the husband of her half-sister, you know, they also had people that come through. So she was in an environment as growing, growing up in it, where she saw men um, who were leaders and they, um, she was able to, to copy what she saw as she went through the, uh, the train. And it was very helpful to her so that when she had to be, when she was, when they were challenged, when she was challenged as Mr. Johnson, and the right for her to have this slave that they thought was her slave, she was able to stand up against the um, the 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 clerk um, who wanted to say, "You you know, I'm not going to let you come through here. I don't believe in helping." He was he wanted to be sure that this white man was not going to be taking a slave into a free state. That was on the third day of the journey, as I calculated, they came to Baltimore. And tell us briefly what happened there. Well, basically, the, um, they, were a, they were challenged by, the, uh, the, by the, 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 the clerk there, and they did not um, want um, them to pass. But fortunately, somebody um, spoke up for them, and just, as, just the last minute, the, the, um, the bell rang, rang and the man must have gotten nervous because he didn't have, I don't think he had any white people to support his position. And so he let them, he let them through. And her, her boldness helped her not to, I mean, they could have caved. They could have just gotten so nervous and, and not really um, been able to, to stand up against this, the challenge. But, they, but because she had been in her environment all her life, she got the boldness, and her husband was there. <laughs> um, but it was Ellen who pulled this whole thing off, and it was amazing um, how that how successful she was. So they reached freedom in Philadelphia on Christmas Day, 1848. Um, they went on to have six children, um, the eldest of which was your great-grandfather, and one of his daughters was your grandmother. Julia Ellen, what do you hope people today learn from your great-great-grandparents? It would be really wonderful for people to realize what the odds were for them. And for people to realize in our society today, no matter how, how hard it might be, that you still have to, you know, you have to go ahead and be persistent and, and persevere. Uh, and because goodness knows that what they had to deal with, you know, Maybe some other people may feel in our society that what they're doing with this was worse or harder than what the crowds went through. But surely not being able to read or write and go and traveling for four days, first class, that, that was an amazing feat. And I'd like them to, they, they, the crafts valued education. Um, they, once they got them, once they were educated, their children and their children's children 
um, they've all gone on to school. Uh, they've finished school. They've gone on to college, and they've been. And one of the things that they they have been really big on in our in our family is to help the community. Help. So we've got people in our family who have given given back. So you know, education, helping the community, uh, encouraging other people. Um, those are just some of the lessons that I would hope we carry going with with their achievements. There's so much to learn from them. Thank you for for telling us just a bit of their story. Thanks, Julia Ellen. Thank you. Julia Ellen Craft Davis is the great-great-granddaughter of Ellen and William Craft, who escaped enslavement in Georgia, riding the rails in a bold disguise. Their story is one of the videos in the permanent exhibit at the B&O Railroad Museum, The Underground Railroad, Freedom Seekers on the B&O Railroad. We have a link to the exhibit at the On the Record page at WYPR.org. And to the book her great-great-grandparents wrote, Running a Thousand Miles for Freedom. The museum is located at 901 West Pratt Street, Baltimore. I'm Sheila Cast. Happy you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>